Hey, this is Greg Graffin from Bad Religion. I'd like you to listen to Books on Pod with Trey. We just had a great talk about Bad Religion's new book that's out there, Do What You Want, The Story of Bad Religion. Hello, readers. Mike Ayers has been an arts and entertainment journalist and editor for The Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, GQ, Time, Esquire, Billboard, and many more, and is the author of the new book, One Last Song, Conversations on Life, Death, and Music. Mike, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Trey. So, Mike, this book is based around a question that I'm going to call a cousin of the age-old question. If you're on death row, what's the last meal you're eating before meeting that fate? And your question is this. If you could listen to one last song on this earth, what would it be? When did you first start pondering this question, and what ultimately inspired you to make a book out of it? It is a cousin. (laughs) I started thinking about this question probably about four or five years ago, I was in New York City. It was a random weekday night. I was seeing a show that I can't remember who at this point. I see a lot of live music. And I just remember sitting on the train coming back to New Jersey. It was 11 o'clock at night. And I threw on a song that has been with me for decades. And I just remember thinking, I never get tired of this song. This song has been with me for so long and every time i hear it i hear something new and i can't imagine not hearing it if it was the last thing i could hear (laughs) this would be the perfect thing for me to go out on and immediately i was like you know what that would be a great book if i asked a bunch of musicians that question and that was it that was really it but that being said that idea sat with me for about six months. Mm. And it was probably at that six month mark, I was like, you know what, I need to stop thinking of this idea, I need to just send it out into the world. And if somebody responds to it, i.e. a book editor, then I'll know if it's actually a really good idea. And I emailed the woman that I actually worked with on this book. And I sent her just one quick note, I said, Hey, what's the last song you'd ever want to hear before you died? And then I hit return a few times to give a dramatic space effect. And then I said, that's the book I want to do. Imagine a bunch of artists asking this question. And she wrote back really quickly and was like, I don't know what this says about me, but I love this idea. Let's talk. (laughs) And that was almost four years ago this spring. And yeah, that's it. So you talk to more than 30 musicians for this book. And you have some other uh, fun elements that we'll get into in a little bit. What were all the different things that you were having to do to compile this information? Because obviously these musicians are giving you their answers, but are you having to rewrite what they're doing and adding any sort of research to the individual songs that it is that they want to talk about that they would like to be their last song on planet Earth? Yeah, interestingly, a lot of times I didn't know what they were going to say before I got them on the phone. So I didn't do a lot of research beforehand. I did research afterwards. I mean, some of the songs, I knew what they were when they said them, but some of them, I wasn't even familiar with them. So I had to do a lot of homework afterwards. You know, it essentially was a lot of emailing and pitching this concept to just a wide range of artists. I think the question is interesting for anybody to answer, regardless of genre, regardless of if you're a musician or you're not. 
Your answer is inherently interesting to me and tells the story of your life and how you connected to a piece of music and when. And so with the artists, it was really just us having a conversation about this. I kind of had a structure that I worked with every time for the interview where I would ask what their last song was. I would ask if this was a hard assignment. I would ask when they first heard that song. And it was kind of like a good icebreaker. And then we would get into a little bit more of the musicianship behind the song, like why they think this is a great song. And that's when things really started to open up because they were just so familiar with their choice and could articulate in ways that us non-musician folks can in terms of what makes this song so special and just why it works and why it works for a last piece of music for them. And towards the end of our conversations, a lot of times I would delve into themes of death and mortality in their own work and kind of pick at that. And then I would just take the transcript of the audio and work it into an as told to. And that's how it got presented. There was only one artist that actually wrote his response and that was Jim James. Which I guess makes sense because he also wrote the Ford in this book, and we'll get to him in just a little bit. Who was the first artist who actually complied with your request, though, and gave you his or her answer on that one last song? It was Killer Mike. <laughs> yes. And yeah, so he got on board immediately. This was June of 2018, and his choice, interestingly enough, was a song that he wrote. <laughs> I love that. And so I got off the phone with him and I was like, part of me was like, that was amazing. That was great. This is going to be a great book. And the other part of me was like, is every artist going to tell me their <laughs> last song is going to be their own song? Cause that is probably not going to work, but it worked out. You know, I didn't edit anybody and it worked out that just the first was the only time that this happens. But I think his reasoning behind it is so beautiful to me and it makes complete sense. The song that he chose of his was Untitled. The name of the song is Untitled for anybody unfamiliar with Killer Mike's work. Why did he choose that song? He chose it because he thinks that it represented him in the most honest way. He chose it because he looked at his life down the road and hoped that he would be hearing this when he was 70, 80, 90 years old and surrounded by his family. And just that this would be like a small nugget of his life's work to take him into the next life. So the question is obviously a fascinating one, but I was uh, interested to learn that you slightly altered how you were asking it to these people that you were reaching out to. In what way did you change the question and how did it alter the way that people were responding or their willingness to respond at all, I guess? At first, I was very like, this is the rule and you can't deviate from the rule. You know, if you go with that last meal analogy, you're having a last meal. You're not having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? <laughs> but as a few of the interviews went on and I started hearing people think about how this question formulated in their mind, they were asking me questions back that was like, oh, well, when am I dying? Am I dying now? <laughs> am I dying in a car wreck on a ski slope running into a tree? Very valid questions, by the disease? way. So valid. And so... 
everybody started to really think about the context of what the scenario was when they're hearing, because they started to think that, well, I would have a different song for a different scenario. And so when I started to hear some of those things come back at me, I started to loosen up a little. And I guess the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate example of me really loosening the question was with the singer-songwriter Will Odom, who performs under Bonnie Prince Billy. And he was really coming at me in the nicest possible way about the whole scenario aspect of the question. And he essentially said, well, all my best moments of music is not listening to other people's music. I think back to the times when I'm making music with people and that is what I would want to go out with. And he said, so I guess if I knew I had a month left, I would just assemble my friends and we would make a new record together. I just thought that was incredible. That was an incredible way to frame the question around the scenario, but then just, I don't know, make it real personal. I mean, some could say that, okay, maybe he dodged the question a bit, but I don't think he did. It did become such like a personal thing to people when they were explaining their picks. They had really articulate reasons on what this last song would be. And you got more than 30 musicians to go on the record. Obviously, we've talked about Killer Mike. You just mentioned Will, Courtney Barnett, Andre 3000, Angel Olsen. Jeff Tweedy, Lucinda Williams, Lauren Mayberry, lead singer of Churches, requested Firework by Katy Perry for her last song. Why? So that was one of my favorite ones, and it was so surprising. That was another one where I didn't know what she was going to say beforehand. And you can kind of see at the beginning of her chapter the question that I'm asking, like, do you think this was a hard assignment? Because she starts off talking about how when you're in your last moments, do you want something super sad, super profound? Do you want like Johnny Cash singing Hurt? And she essentially works through it in her mind and out loud that, well, no, she doesn't want anything like that. She wants something that is a bit euphoric and something that reminds her of really good times. And that was Katy Perry's Firework, which is... A phenomenal song and I would think it would work in all sorts of <laughs> situations and making you feel uh, happy and she essentially said that this song or Katy Perry's career in a lot of ways is a blueprint for what she wants their band to be doing huh. just like these anthemic club songs that people just have euphoria around and I thought that was a great connection too, that no one other artist really made, that this song would be a reminder of what they were doing, but also a reminder of her good times in her life when she was just coming of age. Did any musicians decline to answer? And if so, who was the most disappointing refusal? Well, a lot of people just didn't write me back. And that was challenging. There was like a lot of people that were on my dream list. There's a lot of Britpop stars like Damon from Blur and Noel from Oasis that I just thought would give phenomenal answers. Taylor Swift <laughs> like given a phenomenal answer. 
I reached out to a lot of hip hop stars as well and just didn't get anywhere with them either. I never felt really disappointed, like, oh man, that was the one that got away. Because the artists that are in here are super profound and it gives a good reader experience working through these. But yeah, if there was a volume two, my mind is just drooling at the possibilities of all the different types of artists that we could tap for this question, because it's just an endless well of answers and insights into musicianship. Yeah, endless is a good word for it. Now, there are still a ton of awesome voices represented in this book. And as big of a fan as I am of more than half of uh, who you have in here, I'm probably most smitten creatively with Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards. Why'd Meryl choose something by Bach? Meryl's answer is so beautiful. When I got off the phone with her on that, I was just, I had to take a moment and just process her choice. Essentially, she said that her mom was playing this Bach piece when she was in, in utero, in the womb. And simply put, that would be the circle of life. You know, if she was hearing that at the end of her life, it's a song that she's learned to play and it's a very challenging song and that's it. That's really it. But that circular feeling of life. And she also made this statement too, about how this piece that was written a, a couple hundred years ago somehow became this piece of music in her life. It found its way to her mother and found its way to her ears in infancy it just makes complete sense to wrap things up with that as well it's really cool to learn about for sure now this book also includes some side chapters that link music and death things like the most morbid number one songs of all time famous musicians and the last live song they played songs that famous tv characters went out to and how to pick a song for your own funeral now, I am fascinated with morbidity, so this is a chapter that I was not only amused, but also enlightened by. So how does one actually pick out a song for his or her own funeral? This is a common question. People always are talking about their funeral songs. And that's another reason why I thought this book was a great look into music in a person's life, because when you're picking out a funeral song, you're picking out a song that ultimately you're not going to be there. You're not going to hear it. So the last song that you're going to hear is for you. It's a bit selfish, but I think it's worth it. In terms of picking a song out for a funeral, there's a few different ways that I go through it. Some artists over the years had bands play, like Janis Joplin had the Grateful Dead play at her wake and paid for it. Some famous, actually not even some, a lot of famous musicians hire Stevie Wonder to sing at their funeral. Now, for the average person, I would assume that making a killer playlist is paramount. You could go in a few different ways. You could go with the soundtrack of your life, you know, like at these different moments. These are the songs that define my life at different stages. You could just go your favorite songs. You could go ironic songs that will make people laugh in the situation. There's so many ways that you could go and have to think about it. I feel like this is something that people talk about. Oh, I play this song at my funeral. That's my funeral song. But 
I don't know if people really have that playlist on Spotify saying <laughs> funeral songs, right? I don't know. I never heard of that. I think I'm probably just going with the playlist that I have on my phone. And at that point, the funeral is going to have to be like seven hours long. Right. <laughs> because you're putting it on shuffle and otherwise you're only getting a small sliver of that. Exactly. Now, you list a bunch of morbid number one songs, as I just mentioned. Is there a most morbid number one song of all time in your mind? And if so, why? That is a good question. You know, the ones that I talk about in the early years of the Billboard charts, they were weirdly morbid. The Billboard charts started like ranking number ones around in the year of 1958. And there was some things early on that were just... You know, this was like the teenage love years, but there was suicide worked in, there was drowning worked in. The songs that I cite that people probably know are like Mac the Knife and Leader of the Pack and Papa Was a Rolling Stone and the Rolling Stones Painted Black was vaguely about death. And it's just, these are things that, somehow crept up to being ubiquitous jams. Is there a all-time the most morbid song ever? That is a tough question. I feel like, again, if we go back to the context situation, people probably have it for their own life. The things that just make them cry every time they hear it, or at least well up. I don't know. I mean, there's... I'm going paint it black, even though it may not directly address death. I just think that the overall tone of that song, it's just dark, man, and it's spooky, and I've always attributed it to death. The tone is very dark. It feels like from the beginning, from the first notes, that the end is coming, and that that is what they're trying to emote, that the end is near. And they're building to that, and you don't have much time left. So as we previously alluded to, Jim James of My Morning Jacket not only supplied a song for this book, but also he wrote you the foreword. How long have you and Jim known one another, and did it take much convincing to get him to write the foreword for you? So I just reached out to him when I was reaching out to artists to contribute to the book, and he got on board immediately to do his last song, and he was the only one that wrote his chapter. And I got it within two days of reaching out to his manager. And I was shocked. And I remember reading it. I got up early that morning, read it kind of bleary eyed. And it just, it was stunning. It was so stunning. And as I was going through this and getting towards the finish line, I just kept remembering that chapter is being so profound. And so I just reached back out and said, look, I am looking for someone to write it forward. And I loved this chapter. And I think that you could articulate this book in ways for the beginning. And he got on board immediately. He liked the project. I think like everybody that did participate in this, they liked it. They liked talking about other people's musicianship, what music means to them. And this question is a very high stakes question. It is thought provoking, I think. 
And I don't think you mentioned this song at the start of our conversation, but the song that spurred this idea that eventually became the book One Last Song is something by the Grateful Dead, Terrapin Station. Is that your one last song now that you've obviously gotten through this project and had a lot of time to think about what that song would be for you? It is. That was that song that I was thinking about on that night in Hoboken. And I found that song when I was 17 and it, has not left me since obviously the dead played a ton of live shows so there's a whole bunch of different versions out there to satiate my ears and finding something different but it's something that if you hear a version that they were performing in the late 70s it was kind of upbeat and by the time they were towards the end of their career jerry's voice was just so weathered and beat down and you can hear that in those versions. It's just a song that it has just stuck with me. I hear something new every single time I listen to it. And also it's really long. So that's (laughs) nice. (laughs) And uh, before I let you go, Mike, can I give you my song? Please. (laughs) Okay. So it's LCD sound systems, New York. I love you, but you're bringing me down. Really? And the reason why that's my last song is because at this point, although the song is certainly not nearly as old as I am, I want to say it's maybe 15 years old, I have probably sang that song out loud in good times and in bad more than any other song in my life. It evokes uh, just a variety of memories, again, good and bad, helping me get through the bad times and helping me to, uh, to truly embrace the good. And it's to the point now, this, my love and fascination with this song, that I have a, a six- and a four-year-old. And sometimes when we're driving from point A to point B, my kids and my wife and I will all be in the car, and we're all singing it together. And they don't quite know all the words yet, and I emphasize yet, because they will eventually know all of these words. It's just like a, a family bonding moment at this point, despite the fact that James Murphy is singing about how badly uh, the island is, is bumming him out in that moment. When did you first hear that? The first time I heard that song, okay, so this speaks to to the bad perhaps, but it would have been when I was living in Chicago, and it was just a rough point in the winter. A girl might have just dumped me. The city was just doing what big cities do to people sometimes, just kind of chewing you up and trying really hard to spit you out. And hearing that song and that album the whole album speaks to me, but that song especially, which ends the entire album, was one that ended up on repeat one over and over again for, I want to say, like a, at least a couple of weeks, if not a month. You know, what's interesting about that choice is, and a theme that I noticed throughout this book, through these folks' answers, is that a lot of the music that they picked was very coming of age music, meaning that they discovered this in their teens or Hmm. early 20s. And those are the moments that really stuck with them. But this was not the case for you. So it's interesting that you say that, Mike, because although I would have been in my, uh, I think technically my early 30s at the time, I moved to Chicago at 31, and I think it would have been within that first year, it was that point in time where I felt like I was actually growing up. So we all obviously go through uh, epiphanies where we feel more adult from one day to the next. For some people, that does happen when they're teenagers in their early 20s, mid-20s. Some people may not happen until their 60s or 70s, sadly. For me, it was early 30s. So yes, that was a uh, growing up moment for me. I think like this art form, 
music is something that is unlike no others in terms of connecting to people in those moments of change. You could probably cite like a book that was meaningful or a film or any sort of work of art, but music, I think, connects to people in those moments in ways that is so unique. And what you're describing that even though it wasn't like you're 15 or 22, but early 30s, it still had that same pull over you. That is, you know, when it washes over you and you can't let go, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling when you have something that someone's made that you can listen to a thousand times and just still love. I mean, you're not going to watch a movie a thousand times. You're not going to watch a TV show a thousand times, but the fact that you can listen to a song that many times and not tire of it, <laughs> it's amazing. Mike Ayers has been an arts and entertainment journalist and editor for the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, GQ, Time, Esquire, Billboard, and many more, and is the author of the excellent new book, One Last Song, Conversations on Life, Death, and Music. Mike, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this great book. Thank you, Trey. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening today. A reminder that you can give us a follow on social at Books on Pod and hear all of our episodes at BooksOnPod.com or by searching Books on Pod with Trey Elling wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a five-star rating and review. Helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. <laughs>